So we do have a guest speaker today. It works out. I, I, I've been praying a long time. Lonnie's going to come up and share. I've been praying a long time about asking him. And I texted him, hey, Lonnie, would you consider you know, sharing at church uh, this soon? You know, I think, I, I think that's what I said, soon. I didn't hear back from him. <laughs> I was like, dang. And then I saw him like, Lonnie, hey, did you get my text? Oh, yeah, I was praying about it. I'm just like, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So Lonnie, come on up. He's going to share the word with us. morning. This is a little different. It's, it's easy sitting there, right? You're looking up here and you're watching and you see all the facial expressions. You're going, oh man, he messed that one up. Um, that's our mind. That's our carnal mind, right? You know, driving in this morning, I've got to tell you, it just hit me like a ton of bricks that as Gary alluded to, it can snow here any moment. And when it snows, it really snows. For those of you that are online and you don't live in Tahoe, we don't just get a couple inches of snow. At times, we get feet. And over the holidays, we had feet. And that were multiple. So you look outside and it's snowing. You're going, oh, this is neat. It's a white Christmas. When it stops snowing and the sun comes out and you look outside and everything's just beautiful white and it reminds you as Christ's blood for us turns us white as snow. And it's that day that you accept Christ and you're going, wait a minute, that changed me and I felt it and it was exciting and, and I was new. And you look outside and you go, that's what it looked like in my mind. Well, now we're a week past the holidays. Sun's been out, been some rain, snow plows have gone through, the sand trucks have gone through, and you start seeing the darkness on the side of the road where the plows have pushed up the sand and the junk, and it's starting to get ugly. You, the snow's melting, you see the branches that all fell down, some cars got crushed, some, around all the trees there's these little limbs and stuff, and it's all just dotted, and it's not a pure blanket of snow. And it reminded me this morning that that's what our life is like with Christ after we accept him. And he has given us that gift. And as we look out and we're going down this path, we start getting these bruises or stains. And, and it's not as new and exciting as it was that day that we accepted Christ. And it's just a beautiful picture of how when man gets involved, we mess things up. We, we just... We are not Christ. We're trying to be like him, but in our walk, we stumble, we fall, and we leave a trail behind us. And the good news is, his blood is new for us every single day. So it can snow at any moment in your life, whether you live in San Diego, Hawaii. It doesn't have to be the true snow that falls from the sky. It has to be in your heart where you can just say, God, let it snow tonight so tomorrow I am new again. So I'm so thankful that he gives us that reminder. And I, I hope that everybody gets a chance to, to realize that as you're driving down the road today. You see that one patch where the sun's hitting it and there's nothing. It's just pure white. Just that glimpse that lets you know that he's still working in our lives. That could be a sermon in itself, but that's not what I'm teaching about today. <clears throat> I just wanted to share that with you. 
I came into today, well, actually yesterday, fully prepared to give you the cliff notes of people of faith of the Bible and teach out of Hebrews 11, right? It just lists the guys right there, and it's so awesome. So I'm working in my garage, and I'm just kind of messing with my tools, thinking I'm organizing and doing stuff, and God says, you're not teaching on that. Well, yes, I am. He goes, no, I have something bigger for you to teach on. I go, but this is already big. This is what we need to know. We need to know about these guys of faith. And he said, you need to know what I need you to teach on. And that is, I need you to teach about giants. Now, last time I spoke, I said that that's one of my favorite stories in the Bible is giants. And it was David and Goliath. But I changed because God told me I needed to teach on something else. So I taught on Galatians. Didn't even enter my mind again until yesterday. So put the stress level up. I, wasn't, I, I just had to figure it out, right? God gave me the words. So what I want to do is I'm going to read through David and Goliath, and it's in 1 Samuel 17. It's a long version, so if we run out of time when I'm done reading, we're good to go. Then you don't have to listen to me other than what I'm reading. <clears throat> now David, the Phil now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Socho. <clears throat> I'm going to mess these names up just so you guys know which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Socha and Ezekah in Ephes Damim. <clears throat> and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. Now, I'm going to pause there for a moment because anybody that's been to Israel They've, they've gone to this valley. And this makes it sound like it's this huge thing. And they're, you know, binoculars. They're looking across the valley over to the mountainside to see these people. It's really not. It truly is only a stone's throw away. It, it, it's not as big as you would be pictured in the Bible. And I don't understand what Saul's army was thinking because high ground is important, right? If you're going to go into battle, the last thing you want to do is camp down in the valley. The Philistines had the high ground. It just goes against everything that we know. But God had a plan. That's the picture of where they were. <clears throat> and a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Goth, whose height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a bronze javelin between his shoulders. Now the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels. And a shield-bearer went before him. Then he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, Why have you come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man of yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. 
When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Doesn't that sound familiar today? Someone calling you out, calling us out as people, instilling fear in us, and we don't know how to respond, so we retreat and we hide and we succumb to the fear. That's not what God's plan is for us. This, this right here is the first phase of people not honoring the faith and trust that God instilled in them. We were all made of God, and he gave us that spirit to trust. He has us. He has our back. He has our front. He has everything about us. <clears throat> now, David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse and who had eight sons. And the man was old, advanced in years in the days of Saul. The three oldest sons of Jesse had gone to follow Saul to battle. The names of, the, of his three sons who went to battle were Eliab the firstborn, next to him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest, and the three oldest followed Saul. But David occasionally went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days morning and evening. 40 days? These guys would be afraid of this guy standing halfway down the mountain saying, send someone to fight me. If you win, we'll be your servants. If we win, you guys are our servants. But they were scared for 40 days. The same thing over and over and over. Not one of them stepped over that fear boundary and said, I'll do it. They all retreated. So David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with a keeper, and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the camp as the army was going out to fight and shouting for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had drawn up in battle array, army against army. And David left his supplies in the hand of a supply keeper, ran to the army, and came and greeted his brothers. Then he, as he talked with them, there was the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, coming up from the armies of the Philistines. And he spoke according to the same words. So David heard them. And all of the men of Israel, when they saw the men, fled from him and were dreadfully afraid. So the men of Israel, have you seen this man has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And it shall be that the man who kills him, the king will enrich with great riches, will give him his daughter and give his father's house exemption from taxes in Israel. Then David spoke to the men who stood by him, saying, What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in this manner, saying, So shall it be done for the man who kills him. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men, 
And Eliab's anger was aroused against David. And he said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him toward another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did. Isn't that so typical? Somebody questions somebody's fear. And they immediately attack. Instead of saying, why are you not afraid? They don't ask the question. They just attack to justify. That is us today. We get so complacent in fear that we don't even know why we're afraid. We are just afraid because we don't ask. We don't challenge. We don't say, God, what are you showing us in this? But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he has defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. Now, that probably made his brothers mad. If they'd been there for 40 days and 40 nights and never said, Saul, I'll do it. But yet, this kid that's in charge of sheep comes walking into the camp of all these soldiers that are fully armed and basically just says, I'll do it. Put me in, coach. But according to the next portion here, you're going to find out what man does again. <clears throat> so Saul clothed David with his armor, and he put a bronze helmet on his head. He also clothed him with a coat of mail. David fastened his sword to his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. And David said to Saul, I cannot walk in these, for I have not tested them. So David took them off. That's what man does, isn't it? When we go into battle, we try to protect ourselves. And we cover up. We put on all this stuff, our shield, our sword, all the things that we think we need to stop the enemy from getting us. But God says, I'm enough. You don't need that. You have me. Let me walk with you. Let me carry you through this. <clears throat> then he took a staff in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag, in a pouch which he had, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. So back to the valley, the picture. You have Goliath, this huge person thing, coming down halfway side of the mountain. David's in the valley, walks over to the, the brook, 
picks up these little stones, puts them in his pouch. What do you think the Goliath is thinking? This is a piece of cake. This is a joke. They don't stand a chance. We should start celebrating. Guys, get ready to come down here. These guys are going to be our servants. We're going to take everything that they have. Today's a big victory for us. So the Philistine came and began drawing near to David. And the man who bore the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was only a youth, ruddy and good-looking. I don't know what ruddy is, but it sounds like it doesn't really go with good-looking. I I, I don't know. just, Just my thought. So the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, with a spear, and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcass of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. He wasn't prepared for that. David was prepared. You have a very small statement from Goliath, this giant, that he's going to defeat him. And then David came with the best weapon of all. I come in the name of the Lord. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. So it was. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to David, that David hurried and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. Then David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead, so that the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in his hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. Pretty amazing. David is just a boy. David couldn't do this on his own. You think it was David that had the power in his sling to hurl the stone, to hit a perfect shot of a giant that would sink and cause the giant to fall? No. Just like we don't have the power of ourselves to conquer our enemies, and believe me, there are enemies all around. Each one of us have different enemies, different giants in our lives. Some great, some small. Most of them are perceived to be giants and they're really nothing at all. 
That's what fear does. There was not an ounce of fear in David. But there was a ton of faith and trust in the Lord. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Now the men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the entrance of the valley into the gates of Ekron. It's amazing how the rest of the army became so emboldened and ready to go attack the rest of the Philistines. It took one. It took David to conquer a champion that gave power from God to the rest of the army. That's who we are. Each one of us. We may not be the leaders of a free world. We may not be a leader of this town. Heck, we may just be struggling to be a leader of our family. But when we do, there's an example that people follow. People get emboldened. People look at you to lead the path, and they're willing to sign up and say, I can get behind that. God, work in me like you did in him. There's not enough of that out there today. In fact, we're lucky to see it at all. All we hear now is everything that's going wrong. There's a lot of people out there doing what David's doing or what David did. We just need to be some of those people. Now the men of Israel, I already read that. And the wounded of the Philistines fell along the road to Sherem, even as far as Gath and Ekron. Then the children of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. When Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. So the king said, Inquire whose son this young man is. Then David, then as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? So David answered, I am the son of your servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. You know, this is a great story. Fantastic story, actually. It's one of my favorites. I've probably read this hundreds of times. I've heard it equally as many. But this study, this change of study, last night when I went back through this again, really opened my eyes to what this is really about in between the lines. Everybody loves the story of the underdog. I mean, that's, we are all, driven to stick up for the underdog at some point. But there was no underdog in this story. This is a well-orchestrated plan that our Heavenly Father knew long beforehand going through the process. He knew that there was going to be a failure of Saul. He knew that he was going to not do what he said he was going to do because we'd have to go back. And as as we do go back and we look at the preference to this whole situation, 
it comes down to the simple fact that God gave Saul a command. And he said that, I'm going to deliver you, these people, and you're going to destroy them. All. The key word there being all. Saul and his army went into battle. They conquered. But they did not fulfill the command. They did not conquer and destroy all. That's so true of us today. God says, I need you to do something. And how many of us battle? Don't raise your hand. I'm raising my hand because I battle with it every single day. God says, I need you to do this. Oh, no, you don't. There's others. Well, no, I think I need you. Are you sure? Well, yeah, I'm sure I need you to do this. We don't like it. We wrestle. And I know if it happens to me that it happens to everybody. Because that's how God created us. We are all so wonderfully made, uniquely different, but yet exactly the same. People say, how can that be? Well, we all have a heart. We all have the internals that God gave us to live. These bodies are just miracles, complete miracles, how they take care of themselves. We heal. We, we hurt ourselves, but yet we heal. may not be as fast as we want. As you get older, it takes longer. I mean, it's, it's not the falling down that hurts. It's when you get back up and you realize what you hit, right? When you're young, you're made of rubber. You hit the ground and you bounce right back up, no big deal. Um, but us being made so uniquely different as well means that our outward appearance is different. You don't see two people that are exactly the same, even identical twins. They're not truly identical. There are features that are different. That doesn't mean any of us are better than the other. You see, because long before David showed up in the valley, long before he was battling with the lion and the bear to protect the sheep, Long before his brothers used to needle him and tease him and and do the stuff the big brothers do to the youngest. I can say that because my three boys are here today. Samuel had the privilege to anoint him to be king. The interesting thing is, Samuel didn't know it was going to be David. Samuel knew that God told them, you will anoint one of Jesse's children. So he orchestrated this whole plan to bring them together. The interesting thing is, Jesse's boys were paraded in front of Samuel. The first one, the oldest, Eliab, he comes before Samuel, and Samuel goes, wow. My words, that's not what it says in the Bible. But he says, surely this one is the one to be anointed, Lord. I can only imagine Samuel's looking at him going, man, this this dude's big, he's fit, he's handsome, he's strong. 
He can lead an army. He can lead a world. This is the one. He's the firstborn. He's, ah, everything his father wanted. God said, no, he's not the one. You see, don't judge by appearance because your father in heaven judges by the heart. Well, seven more of the sons passed before. Not one of them did the Lord say, that's the one. But he did say, there's, there's another. Samuel inquired, they brought David out of the field. Can you only imagine your, your father only brings seven of your eight sons? But yet he said he was going to bring them all? Because everyone thought that the one that was still out in the field, he's too young, he's too small, he's the youngest, he doesn't have the experience. When he came, the Lord told Samuel, that's the one. As you guys all know, the story goes on. David became one of the greatest people in the Bible, a king, because he trusted in the Lord. His heart was for the Lord in everything that he did. He listened. He obeyed. He served. He questioned, like all of us, but he followed the Lord. And the Lord blessed him immensely. I got to think that that's like us today that we're all going through this life trudging along, doing the things that we think is important, praying, following what we feel God's putting on our heart, praying for other people, seeing lives changed, just going through this life going, yes, Jesus, come back. We're ready to go to heaven. We're doing everything we can. Well, are we? And there's a long pause there because that's a question for every one of us. Are we? And if you look in the mirror and you say, Lord, am I doing everything you need me to do? And you are truly honest with yourself? I hope that that answer is yes. And you are where I strive to be. Because for me, it is, well, I could do this. Well, you're right. I can see I'm not doing enough there. Well, okay, yes, maybe I need to take the garbage out without having to be told, you know? Life things. doesn't say anything that you ha it has to be big. It doesn't say you have to be the next world leader. And I reference that quite often because really there is none right now. You know, I, I hate to say it. There's not because it... A true leader learns and follows guidance. And we don't have anybody following guidance right now. Um, thus, we all have the Lord. He's our guide. He's, a, he's a, our light to our path. He says so. Over and over again. Now, I believe God is testing every one of us on a daily basis. And it's not a testing to see if we love him. It's not a testing to see if we're going to be faithful. 
It's a test to prepare us because he knows we can handle it. And examples need to be shown to the world. We are living examples. I believe they're giants every day in our lives. Some people can call it sin. Some people can call it whatever you want. It could be a giant. But if there is something that makes you fear, I would submit that you're no different. Like me, I am no different than Saul's army in the valley looking up at this giant. I, I mean, you go back to that picture and Goliath. I don't know exactly how tall he was, but let's just assume he's 10 feet tall. He's halfway up the mountain and you're in the valley and you're already looking up at this massive monster of a person. That's life-changing. I mean, he's the guy everybody wanted to be friends with, probably because he's so big he'd get you out of trouble, you know? That's what happens to us. Those are our giants. You're standing in the valley and you're looking up at this insurmountable hill that you need to climb or you need to get through this thing. And it's really nothing more than not following what God has planned for you. It's a roadblock. You see, a lot of people live their life today that God is our emergency exit. We're going to live our life. We're going to do everything we can. And when this plane is going down, I'm hitting the emergency exit and I'm getting out. That's not how it works, you see. God loves us and wants us to have a full life. That full life comes from serving. And that's serving him. That doesn't mean I'm serving you or you. It means I'm serving Christ. If you're the beneficiary of that servanthood, then that's what God's plan is. I know for me, it, it's been hard in the past to say, yeah, I'm going to go do this for these people. Only because I'm busy, I'm gone, I've got this to do, here's my list of things I have to do for me. But I found by doing stuff for others, at the end of the day, my stuff miraculously gets done. I had, looking at it, have no time. I have no resources. But guess what? It all got done. My giants are still there. But I took my eyes off of them for just a little while. Now, I don't know what everybody's giants are. Like I said, you can call them sin. You can call them struggles. You can call them roadblocks or whatever you want it to be. But God can remove every single one of those just by us being faithful and honoring God. None of us alone can do it. I can't conquer mine. Just like I'm sure Gary can't conquer his apart from Christ. Because he does it all for us. He uses us to show people that it can be done. Now, for me, one of, the, one of my giants, and I'm happy to share with people, my, my giants, way back when, when we were first married, was work, employment, steady, 
providing for my family. But I had it wrong. I let that dictate how we lived our lives. Until I started saying, God, you're in control of everything. Everything else started falling into place. It took a long time. But that's the work that God does. That's the David in me. That was David in me, not God in me. Right? I wanted to be a David and go out and conquer the world. I did not want to let God conquer the world through me. I know that <clears throat> you look around here right now and you see our congregation and everybody's got something today that they're dealing with. And I can only share with you what, what I have read and took away from this short study is we have a tendency to act as Saul. And that is to say, yes, God, we'll do it. Yes, God, we'll do it. Yes, God, we'll do it. And we start walking that path and doing it, whatever it may be. But then you get to that point where, oh, yeah, we made it past that hump. I've got it from here. And you're going along. And God has this whole plan for you. You just follow these steps. Trust me, I'll take care of it. But when we set him to the side and say, yep, I see where you want me to go, and you start putting yourself in front of him, it's going to fall apart. That's our world today. You see, when we first came to this country, we left that kind of stuff. I'm talking Americans. And we, we followed God's lead. And we put him first above all in everything that we did. And what, where we're at today is now we've got man so far above where God is. God's following to clean up the mess, right? We know, we know that's the fact because you read Revelation. God's going to clean up the mess. The challenge is God's not a janitor. And people think he is and they treat him like that. That's not who, who we should look to him to be. Right now where we sit, in, the, in this whole world, there are people that are imminently waiting for Christ's return. Because we see that as our only way out. Our only way to fix what's wrong with the world. But I would submit to you that we're not done. I want Christ to come back. Now would not be soon enough, just so you know. But until he does, we are to occupy. We are to live and never step away from what he is telling us to do. Following his lead. You know, we, we could also be like Samuel, which a lot of us are. And that is to look at things and go, that's it. That's Perfect, it's polished, it's shiny, that's going to work great. This person is fantastic. We're judging on appearance. But inside in the heart, 
There might be a motive that is not of God. And in lots of cases, we see that out in the world today. People are living these lives that we look at, and they're super successful, and they have the big house, they have the lake, they have all the toys, they have everything that they want, but they don't have Christ. Do not judge on appearance. Judge by the heart. But to judge by the heart, you need to take that step of faith by Christ, walk up to them, put your hand out, shake their hand, find out who they are, because out of their mouth reveals the heart. If you just look at somebody and say, man, I want to be like that, and you keep going, you're doomed, because you don't know. You might get what you hope for. Talk to them. Find out who they are. Find out what they do. Find out what they believe. Find out who they love. And if they love everything else but Christ, run away. Because it's, it's, it, don't just turn and walk. Run. Because it's a trap. They entice you. They give you things. They bring you in. They let you have fun, excitement. All the carnal things that we think we're living for today, none of those are important. You've heard it said, I know I've heard it said, but you can't take it with you when you go. Well, I submit to you there is one thing you can take with you when you go, and that is your trust, your love, and your belief in Christ. Because other than that, there is no going. There's ending, there's no going. My prayer for all of you is that you can face your giants, sins, demons, enemies, whatever it may be, and know that no matter what it is, you can't win apart from Christ. None of us are strong enough. None of us have the ability to conquer that rooted evil, that sin takes place in our body, in our heart, and in our mind. But Christ can do it in a heartbeat. He can say, you're clean, you're done. It's over. And it's like snow fell. And it covers you. You're like the perfect snowman. Perfectly white. Isn't that what we strive to be? More like Christ, less like us. At least that's, that's where I'm at today. And it's a struggle because it's hard work. And the hard work is, how are they going to accept me? I'm not qualified. I'm not even qualified to be up here, guys. I'm just a guy. You know, I've been, things have been put on my heart that I'm supposed to do things that I'm scared to death to do. I don't call it fear. I call it being scared. Because fear stops you from doing it. Being scared causes you to pray more and ask God to help you through it. Big difference between the two. Fear is like quicksand. 
kind of a weird metaphor. But quicksand, I don't know if any of you know, when you're going and walking along and you step in quicksand, you'll start to sink a little. That's fear. And then you realize you're in quicksand and you can't really get out, so you start moving. The more you move, the more you sink. The more you fight it, you say, I got to get out, I got to get out. You get scared and you start fighting more. You sink more. And you keep that struggle up and the more you fight it, the more you sink. Whereas if you trust Christ and you just relax, you just float on the top until someone comes along to lend you a hand to help you out of the despair and pull you up. It's the only way out of quicksand, folks. I know it's simple. It sounds easy. It's a daily battle. I think we can all do it. I know we can with Christ. He loves us all. He loves every one of you guys. Even those listening online. I mean, people that don't even have that personal relationship with him. He loves you so much. that God sent his only son. I mean, think about it. He sent his only son to what, live for you? No. To die for you. That his blood would be spilled to wash away the sin of the world. Your sin, my sin. Everybody's sin in the whole world. Past, present, and future. To conquer death. To be raised again. That death has no power over us. Zero power over us. That is it. That, that's huge. Your boss can't do that for you. Governments can't do that for you. Nobody can do that for you. Even if they could, they won't. If you really accept it and you believe it, all you have to do is say, I do. It's like a marriage. Some of you people that aren't married, you think, well, what does the I do mean? Well, in this instance, it's the I do to Christ. You do, you believe, you accept. You want that long-term relationship that's not breakable. Gary, you want to come up and lead us in a closing prayer, please? Lord, we just thank you for the words spoken, the encouragement given, the exhortation, Lord. And, and I just pray that each one of us would heed the exhortation. God, that we would allow your word and this, this word, this encouragement to sink deep into our hearts. 
and bring about a change that, Lord, we're looking for. Like Lonnie said, we can't do it on our own. We're the change that we want. But, Lord, we want to see the change occur in our hearts that you desire. Lord, we want to serve you. We love you, Jesus. We give you praise. We give you glory in your name. Amen.